Thanks for tuning in today to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. My name is Katie Chesney, and on Employment Notebook, we provide advice and insight into different strategies for succeeding in the workplace. And today we are exploring the difference between being a hard worker or a workaholic. Did you know that difference could be extremely costly to your health? Joining us today on the show, we have Dana Mansiagli, and she is a consultant and author. So Dana, let's dive into this topic a little bit more. Could you tell us a little bit about the difference between a hard worker and a workaholic? Well, clearly a hard worker has a sense of balance and they know how to prioritize so they not only work hard for the company or themselves, but are able to also turn that off. So what are the consequences of being a workaholic? Does it really affect your work-life balance, your health, or what other kind of things play into that? Absolutely. Now, the first most important thing is that workaholism is very natural, and we all go through cycles of it. I've been there, done that. So it's not some evil, awful thing that anyone should feel badly about. But part of the process is realizing, uh uh-oh, I've got a problem. No different than any other problem is we need to really reel that in. And it's easy to get caught up in workaholism. The danger of it, the downside is that it throws everything else off in your life. You just deprioritize being with friends, being social, taking care of your health, and spending quality time with your family. So what is your experience with being a hard worker or being a workaholic? I know you mentioned that, you know, everyone's been there at some point. Could you share your experience with us? Yeah, I started in my career, I think there's a bit of generation aspect to it or timing in your career. But we all, when we get our careers going, I think that's when a lot of individuals in their 20s are likely to get into workaholism. Uh, A, because they can. They feel, okay, now's the time. I don't have babies. I don't have big commitments. I'm just going to work the 12-hour, 14-hour days. And we all know that some companies really require that from their more junior candidates. Take the banking industry, Goldman Sachs, you know, all these big companies, even Microsoft is known to really push their employees. I was caught up in it too. I worked for a dot-com going for the big millions, which never came. All right. So why is it really beneficial for your career to be a hard worker and not a workaholic? I mean, there's the obvious benefits. As a hard worker, you're really focused and you're dedicated, and but you kind of get the same thing as a workaholic. So does it really kind of more pertain to your the personal aspect of your life or can you really dive a little bit into the differences of you know why it might be more beneficial to be a hard worker? Yes, even let's talk about companies. As much as they have the reputations for driving workaholism and and making us work, it's up to us to not become that. And they don't even want you to be a workaholic. Hardworking is you're hitting your commitments, you're meeting some pretty audacious goals and setting the timelines, you're meeting the bar. Workaholism is bad for a company because it's bad for your team around you. If you're a manager of people, you're actually setting a pace and showing your direct report, your subordinates, that this is what you expect of them. So it causes stress, not just with you, but with everyone around you. They just can't keep up. They can't read your emails at three in the morning and respond because they think you expect that response. So it's bad professionally. So companies really want you to be able to demonstrate that you can prioritize your work You can work the decent hours, and if you have a challenge with workaholism, 
You ask for help from your manager. You sit down and say, please help me sort this out, prioritize what I need to do. Well, you certainly just gave a great description of kind of the difference of, you know, what a workaholic looks like and what a hard worker looks like. What is the significance about learning how to say no as a professional, whether that be, you know, you're really a hard worker or a workaholic? Can that really help you kind of rein it in a little bit and just be that hard worker? It can. Let me give you an example now from being a manager. On the manager side, you know, and I told my team, I'm going to give you all kinds of work. I'm going to load you up. And I invite you at any time to say, whoa, I'm overloaded. That was how I worked. I didn't go in assuming they couldn't do more work or didn't want to take on more work. And the, the power to say no is first starts with you. Starts with everyone personally. Are you taking accountability for your career life and your balance and taking your manager up on that invitation to say, you don't just say no, of course. You have that meeting and say, I am maxed out. So that's one way is with your direct manager is having that open dialogue, a trusting relationship where you can say, I can't do anything more. I'm capped out. So either something's got to drop off Try to, it's kind of the lifeboat exercise on what are you going to kick off the lifeboat when it's sinking, or ask your manager to prioritize and take some things off for you. The other one is for the people around you is when they come to you, your virtual teams, your, your peers, some other people in finance and other organizations and ask you to do more and more. You need to be able to look at them and say, I would love to do that. I just can't do it now. Can we talk about a deadline that's a month away? Or can we talk about this at another point in time? So very gently, kindly, graciously, being able to say no is important for the individual and for everyone around them. Great. And that really sounds like a great tip for a way to kind of stay on track and really be a hard worker rather than a workaholic. So what can you really do if you're in a workaholic-driven company or a division? And then you mentioned several companies at the beginning of the show that kind of might envision and embody this kind of um, mentality. So if you're, on, if you're at one of those companies, do you really have to choose to stay on or to move on and determine if that's really the best fit for you? And if so, how do you kind of go about that? Great question. And you, you mentioned my favorite word when it comes to careers and job seeking, and that is choices. And yes, you have choices. Now, if you feel compelled to work incredible hours, talking 12, 15-hour days to get promoted, if that's your goal, to get promoted, and you need to be a workaholic, basically, to, to feel that, to keep up with everyone around you in a competitive space, that's a choice you need to make if you need that promotion badly enough or want it. The other choice is say, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. So I'm going to find either another division or another company that values a decent amount of hours, but I still have career growth. And choice three, this list goes on, I'll just stop at three. Choice three, which is perfectly acceptable, is, hey, I'm not going to go for that promotion. I don't want to be that director level working these crazy hours. I'm going to get satisfied where I am and work eight-hour days, 10-hour days, and I'm going to be probably what's considered average. I'm not going to be the top dog. Now, is there anything wrong with just being average when you're kind of thinking about your career and longevity? You know, no one strives to be average. None of us want to be called average. 
By average, I mean the, the majority of the workforce is not being promoted every 18 months to two years. People are staying in their jobs longer looking for job satisfaction. I was there. I just did not want to climb that corporate ladder and work harder and harder. And I saw the chaos that people were in at the more senior levels. So I stayed in a great job. I was extremely satisfied doing what I was doing and stayed in the same job for five years. And there's nothing wrong with that. I wasn't called an average performer. I was called a very good performer. I just wasn't in those top ranks vying for that next level. It was clear. And um, and I was very, very happy. I was able to pick up golf and spend more time with my kids before they went off to college. And everything felt in balance for a change. Well, that is certainly a great story to share with us. And I do appreciate it. Now, one of the things that kind of is a little bit, um, we're speaking about it as an undertone, is time management. You know, we're talking about working either eight hours or 10 hours, all the way up to 15 hours. Do people really fall into that workaholic trap because they just aren't managing their time well? A lot do. When I meet with clients today on their careers and how they, how they onboard in a company or how they're managing their next promotion, it's very rampant that there's a, a problem with time management that causes them to work more and more. Number one, what happens is you overcommit and underdeliver. If you mm-hmm. don't manage your time, you're going to start missing deadlines and then staying up late to try to catch up with the next one. And you're never caught up. Number two, they're not using their technology to manage their day. That's what Outlook Calendar or Google Calendar does for you. But people aren't making themselves appointments, meaning an appointment with themselves to complete a project. They're letting other things get in the way. So I booked my business time, my time to write that report that I needed that was due the next day, time to do that PowerPoint presentation that's due in two days. Yes, I think more and more executives and workers, employees at all levels need to take a time management refresher, need to use the technology that's right on their desktop to be much more efficient in their in managing of their day. Now, would you suggest kind of setting yourself an appointment to go home at the end of the day so you make sure that you're taking that time to go home and be with your families and do the things that you need to do on the personal level? Definitely. It actually starts first thing in the morning is I recommend a lot of people book the time to go exercise. So whether it's going home or if during lunch, if you're going, if you say you're going to exercise, you block the time. Then, then when people try to grab your time through the calendar system, they can't. It's blocked out. You can block it out for personal reasons. Same with going home. And at night, if you say, I need to beam up on my laptop one more time to finish something, then you just say that's going to be from only from eight to nine. And you close the lid of that laptop. Our technology is our, our biggest asset and it's our worst enemy because it, it's so easy to be online 24-7. Now, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about is, you know, what do you do when it's really crunch time and you have a huge project and you just need to be a workaholic to get that project done? You need to work around the clock to make sure that it happens. Is it okay to kind of regress and be a workaholic for a time period? And if so, how do you kind of rein that back in and stop so you don't get into a habit? We all have, have to do that. There's cycles in the business, whether it's strategic planning cycles or anything that spikes. And what you need to do is first, I'm going to go back to that trusting relationship I hope people build and have with their manager. 
And before that cycle begins, sit down and say, what are your expectations? What's realistic that I can expect to work? And even if you've been through that cycle 10 times, have that conversation now for the first time and write it down. What are you going to commit to? And then you want to ask, can I also make up some of this time with some extra time off afterwards? So you need to unwind from that. That way you can tell your family, your friends, everybody what to expect. It's blocked in your calendar. And then, Katie, most importantly, it's back to that individual accountability to go back to the normal hard working hours that you were before. No one else is going to tell you to do that or help you off that cliff. Uh, You need to do that yourself. And that's, again, using your calendar and the discipline. Sign up for classes at the gym. You sign up for something that gets you out of the office. Now, one of the things that you mentioned, and I think this is a really good tip for our listeners, but it might not be available to all of them, is to, you know, after you have that big project and you put in all the hours and the crunch time, is to ask for extra time off. What if, you know, your employer just isn't flexible with that? What are your recommendations for kind of having that conversation or alternatives? Well, you have benefits. So if that's If that requires you to take that personal day, what they call even a sick day, a personal day, vacation day, uh, plan that right after the spike. Then take one of your paid holidays. Um, You can also take an unpaid day. This is part of your benefits. This is employment at will, and you are entitled to take a breather after such intense times. If you can't, you just need to use the weekends to completely unplug and just do nothing on your laptop, on your work-related, and try to catch up with the sleep, the rest, and take care of yourself because you're no good to anybody if your health goes south. All right, so kind of thinking big picture here now, what is the biggest mistake that you see people make when they're trying really hard not to be a workaholic, but they really just aren't getting it back to being a hard worker? They're just talking about it. And I was a classic example. As a matter of fact, I once reached out to the health services that all companies provide, right? They provide physical health, doctors, and mental health. And I called for a therapist and I said, I'm a workaholic. And they said, okay, we we understand that. We have a lot of clients who are. So when would you like to come in? Wednesday, Thursday? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't have time. (laughs) So again, it's, it's really about first acknowledging that you are a workaholic and then putting anything in motion. You can ask your friends, partners to help you by picking you up at the office and instead of you driving because you then take control away from driving and have ask someone to carpool. That means you have to leave with them because you're committed to that. You need to have that conversation with your boss saying, I need your help. I have a problem. I am a workaholic and I need, so I keep going back to that trusted relationship because they're also going to see some great value in you being so honest and forthright with the workaholism. And they don't want that. They don't want you to burn out. They don't want to be known as the boss who made you burn out. So um, having that open conversation will give you permission to dial down the hours and tell all your team around you that you are going to be dialing it down because you have a problem called workaholism. Well, there you have it. If you have a problem and it's workaholism, don't just talk about it. Take action and make a difference. 
And unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today on Employment Notebook. So I just want to thank Jana for joining us and sharing her expert advice. We do appreciate it. Thank you, Katie. My pleasure. There's a lot more information about this and careers on my website. That's my first and last name, danamanciagli.com, D-A-N-A-M-A-N-C-I-A-G-L-I.com. And if you're interested in finding more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, send me an email at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. And once again, I'm Katie Chesney with LJN Radio, and I'll see you next time.